Hello, I'm Gary Slapper, Professor of Law at the Open University. With me is Francis Gibb, Legal Editor of The Times. Do you want your advocate to be passionate? And should judges be emotional? These are very important uh, questions about the way that key personnel within the justice system uh, operate and the way that they're disposed. Uh, What do you think, Francis? Should judges and lawyers be emotional? Well, perhaps let's take one at a time. Starting with lawyers, I think that the the expectations have changed rather, haven't they? I mean, the whole style of advocacy to take um, courtroom barristers has changed dramatically over a couple of generations. And we don't now have the the fireworks and we don't have the histrionics and the grandiloquent rhetoric that we used to have. It's a very different style altogether. And I think some people may well find that boring. But that's not to say that we should go back to that grandiose style. Mm. Why do you think the style has changed? What sort of things have affected that uh, move from, you say, grandiloquence to a more uh, functional style of advocacy? It's a hard one. I'm not quite sure what's caused it, except that the fashion, I suppose, is one aspect. I mean, that kind of declamatory style of advocacy seems to have gone right out of fashion. Somebody like the late George Carman was one of the last of his kind. But even then, when I've seen him in court, and he wasn't actually the kind of uh, dramatic sort of lawyer you might see in American television series and so on, he was actually quite quietly spoken. His drama came with the odd flourish, the white rabbit out of the hat of evidence that you mm. weren't expecting. It wasn't so much in the language. Mm. Um, I think it's more probably training. I think barristers are more rigorously trained than they used to be. And I think that judges, where time is a factor, frown upon what they would regard as playing to the jury Mm. or a lot of time-wasting flourishes. Mm, Yeah, I think that uh, must have had an important uh, impact on the minds of barristers, the gallery, and that that style, insofar as it really developed in the 19th century and early 20th century, was taking place in the same social atmosphere as uh, the music hall and in an environment where pre-television and pre-radio, the gallery of law courts uh, was a place where people would often go for amusement and, and entertainment. And therefore, I think it's understandable that advocates or some of them anyway, would pioneer a style of uh, playing to the gallery and and having that particularly melodramatic, uh, pronounced style. I think there's another interesting point. There's a bit of a mismatch, isn't there, between what we see on television, which are generally American dramas, Mm. or even here. I'm thinking of things like Law and Order, where Mm. the the courtroom is quite dramatic, but actually bears very little relation to what you see in a courtroom in this country in reality. So when people come along and they, they actually enter a courtroom, not that many do, but if they do visit a courtroom, they're, they're rather disappointed. They don't mm. see judges banging gavels and they yes. don't see yeah. barristers yeah. in yes. dramatic poses. Yeah. And I suppose that raises the question, well, we don't have television in our courtrooms, so there is that mismatch. Mm. I remember reading a while ago the observation of a commentator on English courts who regretted the passage of the melodramatic advocate and suggested that law was the poorer for not being practised in that particular way. And it occurred to me that uh, if justice is the only criterion by which a case is being judged, and you'd have thought that's a pretty fair way of judging a law case, then uh, you're going to get a more rational outcome 
either if it was just a civil case before a judge alone or if it was a case in front of a jury, same thing. If you were a more rational outcome, if you are appealing to people simply by virtue of what you're saying rather than the way that you're saying it. I think there's another point. I mean, when we say, ask the question, do we want our lawyers to be passionate? You do want lawyers to be passionate in the sense that you want them to be committed to the case. You want them Mm. to be passionate about the cause. You want them to be passionate in a general sense of fighting for justice. What you don't necessarily want is for somebody to bring that passion into the courtroom to the extent that they over-egg the pudding and damage your case. And a barrister said to me recently, he said, I would never make a good prosecution lawyer because you have to be far more neutral and detached as prosecuting counsel. Mm. It's particularly dangerous in in that case, to appear to be zealous and wanting to get your client banged oh, exactly. up, yeah. that would work completely contrary to your wishes. Mm. So for that reason, I was going to always have to be a defence advocate because I was far too emotionally involved with the case. Yeah. But even there, I don't think it's a good thing. I think it, it can work against, especially with a judge, mm. possibly not so much with a jury, but I'd be interested to hear what you think, mm. to be over, over yeah. dramatic. No, I, I think it's an excellent point. I, I exactly agree. The, the, one of the cases often... Uh, advanced as being an exemplification of what barristerial work shouldn't be is the 1603 prosecution of Walter Riley by uh, Edward Cook. And because Cook showed a certain hatred and animus towards Riley, who was being accused of treason against the Crown and um, hatching a religious plot to uh, take out King James, because Cook seemed to feel personal hatred. Everything that he said in the course of the case was animated in a vexatious way, in a personal way. And this is often used as an example of lawyering at its worst, because in order to be good, lawyering needs to be executed in a clinical and dispassionate way only based on the evidence. Insofar as you start allowing, as you said, lawyers to have a personal a gut reaction, there's something visceral about it, then you're encouraging them to uh, use the evidence in a way to secure that conviction at all costs. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, they then lose the benefit of their detachment and their neutrality. It's the client who's passionate. The lawyer then brings in an extra layer, which I suppose is why they always say, you know, someone who a lawyer who has himself for a client is a fool and you have to have that element of detachment the lawyer has mm. to turn around and the, the client might say well why didn't you raise yeah. this point and why didn't yeah. you make that because that won't necessarily go down well it isn't the evidence it isn't it isn't the argument yes yeah um, and another danger of allowing lawyers to be passionate about the cases is like the dog that um, didn't bark it's when something doesn't happen that it becomes suspicious the hound of the baskervilles point that if you're saying that it's quite good if society is saying it's quite good for lawyers to be passionate, particularly about, say, defence lawyers in criminal cases, and to do what their clients might want them to do, which is to be tub-thumping and uh, to be very melodramatic, then it means that you're encouraging lawyers to accept cases more that they would feel that way about than the ones where they would think, this is a fair defence, I'm able to put this with impunity. And that means then that if that goes into the social consciousness in that way. If we expect, as a society, lawyers to behave like that, 
most cases don't probably provoke high feelings among lawyers. And where someone is standing up in a, uh, you know, wet Wednesday afternoon in a crown court somewhere and doing their best in a professional way, but doesn't have that uh, particular passion to it, it would give the impression that that's not such a sound defence because the lawyer isn't being passionate and uh, judging cases unfairly in, in that way. Yes, that's a good point. And it also raises, doesn't it, the whole question of the cab rank principle. I mean, members of the public, as we all know, everybody, and I'm probably guilty this as well. You say to barristers when you meet them, how could you have defended that person? How could you bring yourself when you think your client is guilty? How could you take on such a, a disgusting case? Mm. And it's, it's again that detachment. They are meant to be detached. They might be passionate for justice, but it doesn't matter actually. Their passion is to make sure the person gets a fair trial. That's what they're there for. Yeah, not not, not yeah. actually taking on their client's cause. Mm. Otherwise, you'd only have barristers. You wouldn't have the cab rank rule where they yes. take every case in strict rotation. Yes. You would just they have barristers taking the causes they actually believed personally in, yes. which would be completely wrong. Uh, absolutely. I think it's an excellent point. And that uh, it would also make, in some ways, the tribunal of fact, the judge or the jury or the magistrates, depending on what sort of case it was, unnecessary. Because if the lawyers were allowed to prejudge and come to a decision about innocence or guilt or whether someone was liable or not liable, as opposed to, as you say, to just putting the case, it would mean that the, the whole other part of the apparatus was unnecessary. Mm. And looking at uh, judges' emotional involvement, this expresses itself as occasionally it does. It's never seemed to me that troubling. Judges have been crying in cases periodically for a number of years. Chief Justice Ryder, who in 1754 presided in a case, which is the prosecution of a woman charged with killing her six-month-old baby, and he recorded in his diary that he'd been so affected by his own speech to the jurors that the tears were gushing out several times against my will. It was discerned, he said, by all the company, which was large, and a lady gave me her handkerchief dipped in lavender water uh, to help me. So he moistened his ears, but he then convicted her and sentenced her to death. <laughs> and, and so uh, the emotional um, was, was at that time divorced from the outcome of the case. But there have been more modern cases, including one at Oxford Crown Court in 2006, where the judge was listening to a particularly um, awful rendition of the life of a young female doctor which had been tragically ended by a thug who was racing a car without a licence or insurance and yes, uh, I remember it. Um, smashed in, in into this car. She was a newly qualified doctor and um, he uh, killed her instantly and, and shattered her car and her, her body and her life and the life of all those around her. And her mother gave a very traumatic exposition of the facts in a victim statement to the court and it made the judge become tearful and not the only one. And yet in this case, one of the people involved, the police officer, was uh, critical about it and I thought that... Um I think, I think that's mm. very unfair. I think mm. it probably is because it's so unusual. But I personally, and I don't know, I wouldn't think that many members of the public would be critical of a judge who expressed emotion in that way occasionally. I mean, you'd be inhuman if you weren't affected by cases like that. I think what has changed with judges is that you don't have the kind of histrionics and fireworks that one might have had, say, 20 years ago from a few of the characters on the bench. And by that I mean you don't have the judges giving vent to anger, irritation and being rude, aggressive, unpleasant passion in that way. That, that is completely out. It, it's frowned upon. Training has got rid of it. And I think a generation of judges has seen a change. So we don't have 
crusty... Well, mostly we don't. There are exceptions, but mostly we don't have judges who give free vein to their feelings, insult barristers and all the people, litigants coming before them. It's very uncommon. They're trained to be neutral, to be sympathetic. And I think as a generation of judges, they are more like that. They're not impatient, terrifying and intimidating. They are generally more understanding and sympathetic. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Francis. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.